0: Hello med students, my name is Zach Olson and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast, Trivia Time. Now you're gonna know the answer because it's in the the episode title, obviously, but if you take the CDC statistics on the most common emergency medicine complaints, chief complaints, all age groups, what is by far the most high-yield complaint to know for your clerkship. This is evidence-based studying. All age groups, most common chief complaint across all of emergency medicine. If you learned only one thing from all of your years of listening to this podcast, what is the single most high-yield thing to learn? And we've covered this topic before, obviously, but these next few weeks, we're going to cover abdominal pain in a different teaching format than we usually do. As most great ideas happen, I invented this way of presenting the topic while drinking alcohol, and I'm going to call it presentation-based learning. So here we go. Remember our snowy blizzard presentation style. We're going to go through our 10 presentation steps. I'm channeling my, my inner med student, right? I haven't done this in a while, but let's go. Step one, demographic sentence, right? Hello, Dr. Olson, in bed 20. I have a 48-year-old female with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes, no history of abdominal surgeries, who comes in with abdominal pain. Step two, approximately four-ish descriptors. She describes it as a severe, generalized abdominal pain that started last night and has been gradually worsening since then. Step three, your red flags and kind of the common associated symptoms. She's had some subjective fevers, but no history of atrial fibrillation and no vomiting, no dark tarry stools, no urinary symptoms or vaginal bleeding or vaginal discharge. And that wraps up the history. Then we go on to step four, addressing our vitals. Vitals in triage showed a mild tachycardia, which I rechecked and she still does have in the room. She's afebrile here and she's otherwise stable. Step five, you examine the complaint and present the complaint. Abdominal exam shows non-specific tenderness throughout. There's no focal guarding or rigidity. There's no masses. There's no CVA tenderness. And then step six, the most likely diagnosis. Honestly, I don't have any particular diagnosis that I think is the most likely yet. And then you go into step seven, the critical diagnoses. But we do need to rule out the life threats of ectopic pregnancy, diabetic ketoacidosis, and appendicitis. Step 8, your testing plan. So for my testing plan, I would like to get a pregnancy test, electrolytes, a CBC, lipase, liver function, and a CT scan with IV contrast. And then step 9, your treatment plan, a simple treatment plan. And for my treatment plan, I would like to get her four milligrams of IV Zofran, four milligrams of IV morphine, and some fluids. And then step 10, your predicted disposition, only only if they push you for this, obviously. Sometimes attendings like to push this during your presentation, sometimes maybe not. But you can say, I think that if everything returns normal, she should be safe for outpatient follow-up within the next 24 hours as long as she's looking okay. I kind of wanted to put it into to pieces there just so you could hear kind of my mental 10 steps when I give a presentation, but let's just put it all together one time. So you can hear this from start to finish. And over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of work through the chief complaint of abdominal pain. We're going to kind of continue working on our presentation skills step-by-step. So just all together. Hello, Dr. Olson. In bed 20, I have a 48-year-old female with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes, no history of abdominal surgeries, who comes in with abdominal pain. She describes it as a severe, generalized abdominal pain that started last night and has been gradually worsening since then. She's had some subjective fevers, but no history of AFib, and no vomiting, dark tarry stools, urinary symptoms, vaginal bleeding, or vaginal discharge. Vitals and triage showed a mild tachycardia, which she still does have in the room. She's afebrile here. Otherwise, her vitals are within normal limits. Focused abdominal exam shows nonspecific tenderness throughout. There's no focal guarding or rigidity. There's no masses. There's no CVA tenderness. Honestly, I don't have any particular diagnosis that I think is most likely yet, but we do need to rule out the life threats of ectopic pregnancy, diabetic ketoacidosis, and appendicitis. And so for my testing plan, I would like to get a pregnancy test electrolytes, CBC, lipase, liver function, and a CT scan with IV contrast. And for my treatment plan, I would like to get her 4 milligrams of sofran, 4 milligrams of morphine, and some fluids. I think that if everything returns normal, she should be safe for outpatient follow-up within the next 24 hours as long as she is looking okay. That's it. This is completely opinion-based, but that is how personally I recommend that you do your presentations. I think that it is Covering everything you need to cover without being too drawn out and detailed, it's focused. So that's how I would do it. But let's break this down some more over the the next few weeks. Again, presentation-based learning. So I'm going to teach you about abdominal pain in the order that you should be giving your presentation, if that makes sense. So starting today, it's going to probably take a couple weeks to do this. Starting today, step one, don't glance over this demographic statement that you just Throw out there, age, gender, and your pertinent history, and, you know, kind of their chief complaint. That opening sentence in bed 20. I have a 48-year-old female with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes and no history of abdominal surgeries who comes in with abdominal pain. Don't ignore this step. This is a very important step. This is actually the only spot where you're giving medical history in your presentation. Don't ignore this step. But let's just stretch this out and talk about this a little bit. So abdominal pain is a huge complaint in all age groups. That's why age is important. Now, according to our CDC statistics, the uh, abdominal pain is your number one chief complaint in all adults. It is number Two, it's the second most common chief complaint in elderly people. Number one would be chest pain. And it is the third most common diagnosis in pediatrics. So this is a top three core diagnosis, no matter what age group. But the point I want to make here is that your differential is going to like significantly shift depending on the age bracket, which of those three groups the patient is in. So for example, in kids, listen back to the pediatric tummy ache episode if you need like a full refresh on this, but you deal with things that you don't see in adults. Pyloric stenosis, not in adults. intussusception, not in adults. Necrotizing enterocolitis, not in adults. Malrotation with volvulus. So you can get volvulus in adults. And I should say too, you actually can get intussusception in adults, but it's pretty uncommon. Hinox shonlan purpura. You don't see that very commonly in adults. These are classically pediatric diagnoses. Pyloric stenosis, intussusception, necrotizing enterocolitis, volvulus, HSP. That's kids stuff, right? But then let's take it all the way to the other end, the the elderly age bracket, right? Old folks. You get this whole new set of issues that are specific to them. Much more likely... Uh, you, I suppose you can get volvulus again in this group, but you're going to be more likely to see things like mesenteric ischemia, very bad. Regular adults can get this too, but classically in elderly people, triple A's, abdominal aortic aneurysms, perforations, all sorts of, and I should emphasize here, very bad things, specifically in elderly abdominal pain. I'll go even further. Fun fact. You guys need to know this. Pay attention. In elderly patients with abdominal pain, that old nursing home lady with constipation, right? Estimated mortality just with that chief complaint approaches 10%, 10%, one in 10. That is more than the in-hospital mortality of your average STEMI managed in like a cardiac center these days. That's why age is so important with this chief complaint, and that's why it goes up front in every abdominal pain presentation, you've always just said it, but now you know why you say it, right? Step one, that opening demographic sentence still, gender. More so than any other complaint, gender is a hugely important factor with abdominal pain. EM Basic, you guys have probably listened to that, has a whole sub-episode on female abdominal pain. With the main issue being rupturing ectopic pregnancy is ectopic pregnancy so bad? Definitely. Absolutely. Yes. These act like a triple A only in like a young, happy, healthy mom who's ready to start a family. They can easily bleed out if it ruptures. Now in both genders, they, so both male and females we both get torsion. So that's not like a female only thing. Like you think like ovarian torsion. No, it's ovarian and testicular torsion, both cause abdominal pain. Both groups get deep pelvic infections. You always think PID in women, but don't forget about prostatitis in men. We spend all this time thinking about PID, not prostatitis, but, you know, deep pelvic infections in both groups. Really, it's that ectopic pregnancy, which goes on your differential, specifically with females, obviously, but out loud to your attending, out loud in your presentation, in every female with reproductive potential ectopic is in your differential. I'll say it again. Gender is important with abdominal pain because ectopic pregnancy goes in every presentation of every female that might be pregnant. Ectopic pregnancy, ectopic pregnancy. We'll get to this later during our differential piece of the presentation, but I'm going to emphasize it here too. I have a 48-year-old female. Ectopic pregnancy is in the differential. Now, the last part of our step one demographic statement the pertinent medical history. Now, this is it's this is interesting because you take, you know, uh, let me just okay. This is the only spot of your presentation where you give medical history. Now, I've kind of alluded to this before. Most of you have done internal medicine rotations and a clinical skills course and all of your OSCEs and all of that before your emergency medicine clerkship. And so a very common issue is that lots of you are are taking these complete medical histories, which is good. You'll learn how to focus it down in time. But I'll lose you in the room for 20 or 30 minutes. I know you're not like, you know, palpating the abdomen for 30 minutes no you're you're taking these thorough histories and then you come out with this super detailed medical history and sure you can even like jot jot it down if you want uh, this is all important stuff but when you do your presentation mediocre med students they're just like vomiting this patient's history of like everything Oh, uh, you know, they get headaches and they have glasses and some tympanostomy tubes and osteoporosis and high cholesterol and toe surgery and resolve gout and appendicitis and COPD. And, you know, oh, just so you know, there's 10 people in the room and, you know, it's this big convoluted love triangle, yada, yada, yada. And it just, it doesn't work. Usually I'd fall asleep and then I'd wake back up for the love triangle part. But really, when you're taking these these histories with your patients, pick like the three most important things. And usually it's not like diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia. Like that's not usually the three most important things in emergency medicine. Let me give you some examples. So, with abdominal pain, I'm gonna help you focus here and tell you the types of things that I think as an attending are important. So, pay attention. Probably the most important abdominal surgeries is actually your surgical history more so than your medical history. Abdominal surgical history is. Always important, always useful, and it's always pertinent to this specific complaint. So I would put that in this part of your your presentation. If you lead with an abdominal surgical history in your abdominal pain presentations, you automatically have my attention when you present because it's useful information. Abdominal surgeries. And it counts. This is is just as important. I have a 48-year-old female with no history of abdominal surgeries. That goes here too. Because now I know, all right, so I have to be thinking gallbladder. I have to be thinking appendix, blah, blah, blah. But specifically mention abdominal surgeries. So that's important. What about like medical history? So diabetes, no matter the chief complaint, diabetes is always important. Always. It doesn't matter what the complaint is. If they're a diabetic, especially if they're insulin-dependent diabetic, this always goes in your your important, med- your pertinent medical history, right? Hypertension and cholesterol, not usually that important to be honest. Blood thinners, always important no matter the complaint. Every single time. If they're on, not like baby aspirin, but like Zoralto or Coumadin, right? I shouldn't say brand names, but whatever. I don't take any money from them. Cancer. Immunologic diseases like lupus, HIV, just weird stuff. Cardiac disease. As far as your social history, probably the most important one would be something like alcohol use for abdominal pain. Previous GI workups. Obviously, anything clearly abdominal like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. That's the type of stuff that you're putting here. And if, and if they're healthy and they don't have any of those things, fine. I have a 48-year-old female with no significant past surgical and no significant past medical history that presents with abdominal pain. Very common. Frequently young, healthy adults come in with this complaint. That's fine. And keep in mind here, you're like, man, only three things. Well, you, you're not limited to three things. You can always do two. You can always do four. Three is about the magic number, I would say, in someone with, you know, a few medical problems you attending can always ask for more detail. So when you're giving your presentation, because you're giving this like snowy blizzard presentation, just I would pick the top three things. Previous abdominal surgeries I think is an easy one or lack thereof. Diabetes, big things. In bed 20, I have a 48-year-old female with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes and no history of abdominal surgeries who comes in with abdominal pain. Step one. Perfect. It's almost like I imagined this case up myself, and I did. All right, step two, approximately four descriptors. That's kind of the magic number, and it's it's really based off of billing reasons, right? You can do more, obviously, but four is kind of your magic number of adjectives that you want to give for your abdominal pain and that you want to ask your patients on history. In bed 20, I have a 48-year-old female, with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes and no history of abdominal surgeries, who comes in with abdominal pain. She describes it as a severe, generalized abdominal pain that started last night and has been gradually worsening since then. That's four. Severe, generalized, started last night, gradually worsening. Four descriptors, nice and clean. Is there like ideal adjectives to use for abdominal pain? Not really. With all complaints, you're almost always going to be getting like a duration of time for how long the symptoms have gone on for um, or, you know, how long ago the injury was or whatever. So, you know, I'd say like the onset type time piece of it is always one that you're going to use specifically with abdominal pain. I feel like location is a big one. So you could say generalized abdominal pain. Right upper quadrant abdominal pain, left lower quadrant abdominal pain, suprapubic abdominal pain, almost always useful. With most complaints that are out there, I like to ask about, this is almost with all complaints, is speed of onset. So this one helps you a lot. Is it, is it gradually worsening or sudden and severe? And the way I, the way I phrase this, cause you want to validate your patient's So that both of these sound equally bad to them, right? So I always say, is your pain, is it like it just kind of started off, you didn't really quite notice it, and it just kept gradually worsening and worsening and worsening, now it's just severe? Or was it like severe immediately? That's kind of a lot of times how I will will phrase it. They almost always say gradually worsening, but um, there's some bad stuff that starts with sudden and severe abdominal pain. Um, You can always put in severity, mild, moderately severe, severe. 10 out of 10, 15 out of 10, whatever you can put in severity. Attempted treatments can be useful. Um, at four, four descriptors, you guys, four adjectives, you guys can do it. You can always add more, but four is what I feel like is the magic number. And so, you know, feel it out. If you, obviously if you have a super like hyper questiony attending, then maybe you want to have a few more in there, but remember just cause you ask, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean you have to put it in your presentation. Step three. Red flags, and I think we'll probably wrap it after this for this week. Red flags, this will wrap up the history portion of your encounter. All of the the talking we do with your patients, it ends after this, um, presentation-wise. So, hello, Dr. Olson, in bed 20. I have a 48-year-old female with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes, no history of abdominal surgeries, who comes in with abdominal pain. She describes it as a severe... Generalized abdominal pain that started last night and has been gradually worsening since then. She's had some subjective fevers, but no history of atrial fibrillation and no vomiting, dark, tarry stools, urinary symptoms, or vaginal bleeding or vaginal discharge. Now, there's not a ton of true red flags with abdominal pain, like, you know, things like headaches, back pain, those are. Those are presentations that when you give them, you need to spend a lot of time on your red flags. Um, with abdominal pain, there's not quite as many. I, I You know, fever is it's a true fever is always um, concerning with abdominal pain to me. Um, atrial fibrillation is like your classic, kind of what I would think of as a red flag. Because what does atrial fibrillation and abdominal pain, like What? Do, how do those things, what do they equal, right? Mesenteric ischemia. You can put it, you know, you can put other associated symptoms here as well. So like with abdominal pain specifically, uh, again, fever, uh, vomiting, diarrhea. Um, again, with fever, I almost always feel like I I find a diagnosis. If a patient has like a temperature of 102 in the emergency department and they have abdominal pain, like usually it's a cold body You know, usually you find something. Chest pain would be another one. Don't forget about non-GI-related causes of abdominal pain? A big one is melanin. Like, black, dark, tarry stools is a big one. Why Why should I ask, about, I ask about the poop on pretty much everybody who has abdominal pain? And the reason is you don't have, like, we think that we do these thorough workups in people in the emergency department, and it's just not true. You are, in all honesty, very limited in what you can do to work up abdominal pain in the emergency department. You need to know that. We don't have a good test for GI bleed, uh, you know, other than, you know, a finger up the butt and doing the hemocult, um, ulcers, that type of thing. That, to get, like, truly diagnosed and see what's going on, really needs endoscopy, EGD, Right. You don't see, like if you get a CT, they get a really bad abdominal pain. You're not going to see anything on CT unless it, it perforates through and causes free air, right? Or you're not going to see anything unless their hematocrit level drops a bunch. And you're like, over the course of the last week, their hematocrit has dropped a bunch. Why is that? This is, uh, you know, GI bleeding, peptic ulcers, things like that. are very much a diagnosis that's based off of history. So melanoma. Um, and the other thing I'll say is similar to like acute coronary syndrome and heart attacks uh, above the diaphragm, non-GI things below the belt line too. So genital urinary symptoms, dysuria, hematuria, vaginal bleeding, vaginal discharge in females. Those are big ones. So you can just list out a bunch of those. AFib, fever, vomiting, chest pain, melanoma, genital urinary. That's your step three. And I want to clarify here because this I wish someone had told me this when I was a med student. Things like when the patient, when you're asking like, is anything, you know, do you feel weak? And they go like, well, it's not so much that I feel weak. I just feel mm, off or it's not that I feel weak. It's just that I feel kind of weakish. I'm not vomiting. I'm just a little, a little nausea-y. Not vomiting, but just some squiggles in my tum-tum, you know? That stuff doesn't really go here. That's kind of just non-specific that doesn't really help you much. So um, I just wanted to throw that there. We're going to continue this topic next week with uh, this super high yield chief complaint with our presentation based learning. But one more time, the first three steps, at least the history portion of your presentation. Keep in mind when you're in the room with the patient, You're asking questions so that you can give this, these three steps. So if you find yourself that you're in the room and you can't get out within an hour, right? And you're just getting, you feel like you're stuck in there. Remember, these are the things that you're specifically trying to ask. So yes, you want to listen to the patient, but you're also trying to answer these three steps. Hello, Dr. Olson in bed 20. I have a 48 year old female with a past medical history of insulin dependent diabetes no history of abdominal surgeries who comes in with abdominal pain. She describes it as a severe, generalized abdominal pain that started last night and has been gradually worsening since then. She's had some subjective fevers, but no history of AFib, no vomiting, melena, urinary symptoms, or vaginal bleeding. That's it. It's clean. It covers everything. That's steps one through three. So next week, we'll continue more. And then a heads up after that. So there's this whole big list of critical diagnoses with abdominal pain that we need to go through too. So not only is abdominal pain a super, the the most common chief complaint, according to the CDC, but this is, if you look at, it's the, the clerkship directors of emergency medicine recommended curriculum and learning objectives. 25% of it, one-fourth of what you're supposed to learn on this clerkship is abdominal pain related. So if you know one complaint and it's associated critical diagnoses, abdominal pain is the one to master. And that's where we're going to spend a lot of time doing this thoroughly um, and well. I'm going to help you master this, okay? Hello, Dr. Olson, in bed 20, I have a 48-year-old female with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes, no history of abdominal surgeries, who comes in with abdominal pain. She describes it as a severe, generalized abdominal pain that started last night and has been gradually worsening since then. She's had some subjective fevers, but no history of AFib, no vomiting, dark tarry stools, urinary symptoms, or vaginal bleeding, um, and that's it. And I'll give you a few more examples just so we're not doing the same presentation here. But before we wrap up, Uh, You can tune out here if you want. No more, like, learning. I'm just going to give some more example presentations because I'm having fun coming up with these. Hello, Dr. Olson. In bed one, I have an elderly 85-year-old male with a history of appendectomy, cholecystectomy, cardiac disease, and diabetes who comes in from the nursing home with abdominal pain. History is limited, but the nursing home says that it's been worsening for four days. They tried giving him some Colace, but it didn't help. He does have a history of atrial fibrillation, but it doesn't sound like he's been having fever, vomiting, urine changes, maybe a little constipated, but nothing worse than usual. Hello, Dr. Olson in bed three. I have a healthy seven-year-old female, no history of abdominal surgeries, not on any meds who comes in with abdominal pain. Mom says she's been complaining of it for a day, Fairly constant and severe because she's holding her stomach. She tried giving some juice, but the child didn't want to drink anything. Fever 102 at home. One episode of non-bloody vomiting. No stool changes or urinary complaints. Hello, Dr. Olson. In the resuscitation bay, I have an 80-year-old male with a past medical history of hernia repair, cholecystectomy, cardiac disease, blood thinner, who presents with abdominal pain. He's been having it off and on for a few months when he eats, but today he said he had a sudden onset, severe epigastric pain. EMS gave him some fentanyl prior to arrival, and that helped. No history of AFib. No fevers, vomiting, urinary symptoms. He says his stool is somewhat dark, and that's been going on all month as well. Hello, Dr. Olson. In fast track... I have a 21-year-old female, healthy, sexually active, but no history of abdominal surgeries and absolutely no other medical problems who presents with abdominal pain. She is complaining of sudden, severe, right lower quadrant abdominal pain, and this happened a few hours ago. Now resolved. No fevers, vomiting, urinary symptoms. She does have some trace vaginal spotting for a few days unknown last menses because she's on birth control. Learn this abdominal pain. You guys hugely important. That's part one. So our history part of our presentation-based learning is done. You guys are all awesome. Good luck during clerkship season until next week. Keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.